Hello everybody, welcome back to the Judas Goat Coffee House. I'm Callie Hurley and this is the third episode. We are interviewing Jordan Fashing and Valerie Bussey about their literary pieces this week. If you missed the first couple of episodes of the Judas Goat Coffee House, the Judas Goat Magazine is a literary magazine that publishes all types of writing and this podcast features some of those featured writers. The Wayne State College Lit Club started publishing the Judas Goat in 1967 in the spring. Go to wscpress.com for more submission information. Make sure to go catch up on the first couple episodes on anchor.fm slash judas-goat-coffee-house. Also keep up to date on what's going on with the podcast on Instagram and follow Judas Goat Coffee House. Today is Jordan Fashing and Valerie Bussey. First, we are starting out with Jordan. She is actually the Aletha Acer Steel Burgess Poetry Prize winner, so I'm really excited to see what led to that. Hi, I'm here with Jordan Fashing. How are you doing today? I'm good. That's good. She is here reading her pieces for us. How would you describe where you're at in college right now? I am a senior here at Wayne State. And I'm, when I graduate, I'll be starting a master's in August um, for library and information science. Sounds like you have a pretty good plan. What did you want to be initially when you grew up? Um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a writer because I loved reading. So it was just something I enjoyed in my time, and I wanted to be somebody who created words for other people. Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. Have you always had your same major throughout college? Um, yes, I have been an English writing and lit major since I started. I added a minor of geography, but I've been the same major. Cool. I always liked geography. Same. I never <laughs> thought I was going to minor in it, but... Yeah. <laughs> Some cool stuff. How did you find out about the Judas Goat? So, in my freshman year, I was in a poetry workshop class with um, Dr. Johnson Barty, and she required us to originally apply to it. Um, as part of our grade, and I've um, always turned in work since because either it's in that way it was like an extra credit thing, but at, ever since then it's been really like cool to actually like submit my work and to go through that process because I don't submit my work to many different places, so it's kind of a neat experience as an undergrad. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. What's your favorite thing to do in Wayne? In Wayne? Um, I like going on long walks in Wayne. The <laughs> nature trail is really cool, unless it's flooded. So, <laughs> Does that happen often? It's only happened the one year, and I jumped from, like, icicle, like, from, like, an ice patch to an ice patch and stayed um, afloat. So. Nice. Well, that's good. Um, what are some of your favorite books or even a favorite author? Ooh, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> I think right now in my life, I really loved Colleen Hook. She wrote the Tigers, the Tigers Saga. I don't think I'm saying that right, but it's like a book that's about princes that are tigers and all that. I'm a really fantasy nerd, um, but I read a lot of different variety. Um, Six of Crows by, um, if you ever heard of it, it's a really good book. I can't yeah. remember the author right now. I think her name is really unique, but I've read a lot of fantasy in most of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, reading, like, several books at once. So it's just Jeez. whatever picks my fancy. Yeah. That's cool. What are some other types of writing you're interested in? 
So I majority write poetry because that was what I wrote, started, what actually led me to writing. Um, but I like writing fantasy, and I'm actually doing a special project right now with my advisor this semester, writing, just doing a fantasy workshop type thing. So I've always really enjoyed writing fantasy and writing complicated relationships because I've never had a sim like a simple relationship in my life. So I always like writing about people getting through that challenge of being in a relationship. Yeah, that's really cool. You won a special poetry prize within this book, actually. That's how I learned about it. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how that worked? So my understanding is how it works is everyone who um, applies to Judas Go is put in for that um, specific scholarship. And um, I think it's picked off a base of how many um, is of awards because it's specifically a poetry mm. one from my understanding and from the way because it, it's a poetry prize. Mm -hmm. So I took it that it's based off of what you've written. And so I, I found out not through the Judas Go. I just got a notification and I had to look it up. <laughs> but I think it's really an interesting situation because I was like, it kind of made me feel, because um, I don't think my poetry is good, you know? Yeah. So it kind of made me feel a little better to know that my poetry actually is appreciated by somebody other than me yeah. or my parents. So, <laughs> Yeah, won a cool prize. <laughs> well, what are some of your other interests other than writing? Um, well, I do a lot of reading and walking. I'm really into um, the degree I'm going into. I really like being in libraries, so I like being surrounded by books. So I'm voice is fetal. I don't really have a lot of like downtime or hobbies because <laughs> I'm a tutor on campus, and so I do a lot of different stuff. But I like staying busy and being productive. Yeah. Well, let's move into your first piece. This is Blue Beanbag. Are you chasing those bunnies the same size as you? Or are you waiting for someone to come along to pet behind your floppy ears? Can you really be someplace where things are better than my own lousy existence? From the countless moments of knowing there are no words when coming to terms of losing you. Yet they tell me you wait and are no longer losing track of where your paws want to go. All I am left with is you lying on a blue bean bag, waiting for me to come and push you off so you can pull it away from me. What inspired this piece? Um, so this piece was written, um, my senior, like, a year ago, and I wrote it about my dog. Uh, my dog was put down in 2016 in my senior year of high school, and it was a really big struggle for me to go through that, because she had been there for 16 years of my life. And I have, every time I think of her, I think of when we were younger, and I, I there's pictures of me and her on this blue bean bag, and we would fight over it. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to, like, write about that experience. And it ended up just being because I was, you know, that um, 2017 is when, like, I graduated, but she passed away in 2016. And last, that semester, I was really struggling with that, even, and, like, finally letting her go. And it had been, like, you know, almost three years of, mm -hmm. like, finally getting to that point of going. She's in a much better place, but writing about it helped. And that's what I think is the important thing about writing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really hard. I'm really sorry about that. I think that's a really cool way to let her go, though. Um, why did you write it in this writing style? I always love poetry because you can focus on an imagery. And for that particular thing, I wanted to focus on the blue bean bag. So I was able to make that, you know, even though no one knows that, like, picture to me, I'm, I know that picture and other people might get a different image from it. Like, 
they might not know it's a dog unless they listen to the floppy eel line. So I wanted him to get that, you know, that it was a dog line. But I think that's one of the important things about poetry is that imagery, because imagery makes the reader see it the way they want to do it and the way they perceive the poem. Yeah, that's really cool. Let's move into your second piece. So this is I Am Not an Alien, which is a response to The Aliens by Charles Bukowski. People who believe there are people who transfer life with little of anything, or whatever this anxiety is called. They might move along, do average things, and are forever content with the life that we see. They sow grief and brief words of feeling down, and then back to good. And supposedly, when they die, you say it's easy, fading away in their sleep. I will never believe they exist. Because if they do, I'd be one of them. Everyone sees me this way, and like you, I'm not one of them. But if they're over there, why am I over here with you? Can you explain where this piece stemmed from? Um, so I did an honors project through Wayne State College Honors, and I chose to do response poems. And I read um, a Charles Bukowski book for one of my poetry classes, and this poem always stood out to me because it's basically a poem that he wrote that he believes that, you know, he's, that there are people out there that are normal and that he's not. And I feel like there are, everyone struggles with their own um, challenges, and that's why it ultimately made me want to respond to the poem. Yeah, I think it really stood out. What do you want others to feel when they read this? I want all those people to realize that they'll, um, that there's people out there who suffer with it too. Like, I suffer with anxiety, undiagnosed anxiety. And I think um, it's important that other people realize that there are challenges we all face that we all have to get through and we're not all normal and that sometimes we think when we have like no issues but we do and we have things we are going through that makes it well you think that that person over there is completely fine but they're not and I think that's one of the issues in our society today is we put people in boxes and we forget that we do that yeah I get where you're coming from with that Let's move on to your third piece. Um, this is Night of Beauty, response to early affection by George Moses Horton. The earliest dawn are purples and reds, branching outwards to show the beauty of the sun. And I am no bright sun compared to others' heads. Left over by others into the tons, remembering you would be a climb because all I can be is grime. The morning is past the point of what you say. Instead, beauty watch into the apricot down to the seeds where it forever stays. For beauty is what you seek in the law, and my journey will fade before yours, and look back and see our closed doors. Smiling or frowning makes no difference to me, for the gloom is the only way out. Yet the chain is being pulled by thee. You only see the beauty of the end of my sprout, and the wings were spread by a blue jay, unable to wait for the end of our fray. But I guess they must admit, you see, more in fondness than delight. The sparkling in my eyes begging me to flee, for you to be my forever night. And when we both go below, I hope we both know. This was another response piece. Why did you feel the uh, need to write it like this? Um, so I've learned about the author's sense, but when I originally read this poem, he wrote this to like get out of slavery. He was an African-American poet. And I originally responded as somebody who's looking at a relationship and 
doesn't think they're worth it because I've been there and I wanted to respond to that because the poem that he wrote was very elegant and beautiful and like gushing about this girl and I'm like I was trying to respond as that girl was saying I don't feel that way mm-hmm. um which ironically he wrote that type of poetry because that was what people were looking for at that time period so I think it's kind of ironic that I wrote basically an anti <laughs> what he was writing at that time you know yeah what do you want others to feel when they write this um we've all been there we're, I don't know if everybody's been there but I've been there we'll <laughs> like a guy will compliment me on how I look and someone will compliment me how I look and I'm like no I don't look pretty I don't look gorgeous and I think we all have that imagery in our head and I wanted people to realize that you know even though this guy was gushing doesn't mean I have to take the compliment but I remember the compliment I remember that it's tucked away um so when I get that compliment I always remember it it just you know you have a thousand negative thoughts one positive thought doesn't you know impact it sometimes but you still remember that positive yeah definitely it's just sits there and then you just have to remember it sometimes sometimes (laughs) on a rainy day you need it yeah definitely (laughs) let's move on to your fourth piece so this is letter of 2020 response to letter to my sister by ann spencer is it dangerous for a woman to defy the gods to make it known using our tongues, to strut in with weakness to all of humanity, across the line one sees as an obstacle in the way. The gods seem to own everything in sight, the noise and the waters and the sins which surround our feet. It isn't worse, but frowned upon to be timid, kneel at the feet of men, and smile always, even when it hurts. Better to protect the young and innocent, because beauty or plainness doesn't matter. The gods are all-powerful, yet they don't pass over. So it's easier to lock the heart without a word, lest people see it for what it's worth, still waging throughout the day in more ways than one. Don't light one's hope or breathe or speak for fear of death from the, this ungodlike fun. Can you explain what inspired this piece? So again, this is a response poem, and in the poem, she's talking about three different ways a woman during that t- knowing her time, pi- time period could react to a man. And I think things haven't changed in this day and age we still struggle with that as women and i think yeah. that's one of the reasons why i responded to it because men you know and i'm not trying to say men are bad because they're not <laughs> um some men just think they're superior to women and i'm tired of it i i want to be at the equal footing of most people and i just i was when i read the poem it irritated my soul that she felt that way and that was still here in 2020 like the title letter from 2020 and that's why I responded to the poem. Yeah, I think that's definitely a stereotype out there that isn't the best. <laughs> Let's move on to your fifth piece. So this is called Shower Calories. The smell of the food could make me salivate. The cheese and the potatoes make me want to begin eating as quickly as I can, except to just sip my drink with dainty little swallows, which do nothing for my rumbling stomach, which attract unwanted attention. Eyes watching me always, can't shake them off my back, roaming over my extremely untouched full plate. Even worse is I finally take a fork full of potatoes and shove it down my throat like a dumpster. It tastes like ash. Leftovers without calories, except they're supposed to provide energy, not drain. What do you want others to feel when they read this? I, um, when I came to college, I found out I have a slight problem of eating in front of people. And I want other people to know those people out there. And that's what it was. Um, And I'm not anorexic or anything like that. But I do have 
an issue eating in front of people. So I wanted people to realize that is the case and know people that I eat. I eat a lot. I might, <laughs> but I eat behind closed doors because it just gives me such anxiety to eat in front of people. Yeah. And I don't know why. That's just how I am. Yeah. Um, why did you write it like this compared to another writing style? I think that comes back again to imagery. Um, the first draft was terrible of this <laughs> one. And I finally focused on like the food and making people like see the food because that was the main focus. And I think that was the imagery that I was missing in the original draft, which is thanks to um, my uh, class poetry workshop class. They gave me that advice, like bring in that like feeling that she can't touch it in the poem. And I think that's the most important thing. Again, poetry is about the imagery and the importance of making people see something and feel something. So that's what I wanted to bring to the table on that poem. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's move on to your last piece. This is Unique Accent. I walk into another classroom with people I don't know who I will learn with. They have never met me, and when I speak for the first time, the question, where is your accent from, flows from different tongues, stopping to think how I should respond. It isn't the first time someone has asked me that, but now I must think about my response in this new setting. Should they say the truth? Or should I save my breath? The day I first caught in an accent was an interesting day, which always stands out in my mind. It was so hot, and my skin felt super clammy. The sun touched my legs as I had only worn shorts, and the noise had been extremely loud. So many kids jumped in the bounce house, and I had the pleasure to watch them. I had thrown off my shoes many times already as parents kept asking me to retrieve those stubborn children. Other times, kids got too scared, so I, as the smallest one, clawed in and confidently would talk the kid out. I was a junior in high school, and I wasn't sure if the confidence was really me. By the time someone told me there was a prickly thing inside, I had already been in there several times, but I clawed, clawed in dutifully. The prickly thing turned out to be a pesky sandball, probably from the high grass in the fields surrounded us. A kid probably just tracked it in on the coast. I was lost in thought when this little girl came up near the webbing and explained, I have some of those prickly things in my dress. Of course, this was my cue to dig them out. She was wearing a sundress with a pink frill surrounding the bottom. The fabric had easily collected the stickers and they were everywhere. I started pulling them out as carefully as possible while the bounce house continued the up and down movement. The little girl decided to talk to me. What are these? I tried to explain sandboards, but settled with those stickers. You probably got them from playing in the glass somewhere. I kept working on playing the stickers when she inserted the quick statement, I don't play on glass. That's dangerous. It took my brain a while to acknowledge what she said, but when I did, I quickly responded with, I meant glass. I tried to show, slow the wood down and cleanse because I could hear the air before she asked the next question. Why can't you say some words correctly, like glass and glass? I stopped and considered it. So to be honest, the little girl who has no clue who I am, she wouldn't seat me after the day. I'd just be the lady who helped get stickers out of her dress. She would continue to bounce, maybe not even this exact bounce house either. She'd go on with her day like the words I had uttered didn't matter. So I said, I have an accent. These four words are of course a lie, but a lie I could tell people. Being born in Nebraska, having an accent wasn't a thing. I've sounded way too British to be from Nebraska. Many innocent people asked that question. Many have thought it was cool and wanted one, too, like that little girl did. She had a gigantic grin on her face which spread outwards to the edges of her face with her eyes shining brightly. After I explained what an accent was, she went back to bouncing, telling everyone what accents were and how she wanted one. I hope she never suffers through it.
I suffer from the small ilk now I inherited from my mother. Of all the pain of having eardrum eruption, the random ear test and gunk pulling out of one's ears after drops which painfully went down, being labeled as a girl with a speech impediment. Maybe that is why I answer yes to having an accent. Easier than telling the truth, the use of feeling like a failure. Before I called it an accent, I would tell the story of how it was slightly different in my speech pattern. I wasn't afraid to tell people the truth, but the truth became hard to explain when I entered high school. I would talk too fast, and the other person wouldn't necessarily catch everything I tried to say. How do you explain something when you have seen it as a part of you your whole life? I'd stop caring if people understood by the time I reached off my yield because it was easier than saying no, going on a long goose chase of questions. That's how I live now and casually say yes. Inside, though, I always wonder, am I lying? Or is this how I'm getting through the day without any unwanted attention? I left the room to do what again? Oh yeah, to make sure I avoided punching anybody. It's not the first time and won't be the last, since 7th grade had gotten worse. By 8th grade, I would leave the room when it would happen, because the teacher would say it was my choice to leave. My Spanish class was the real start of my decline in my caring levels. I would sometimes stumble over words when I spoke. The two kids who decided it was a game to pick on me would taunt me until I would start to cry. I would always hold my breath, hoping each time the teacher would finally decide to be my teacher and do something about it. So I would leave and be called a coward. I'd walk back in the room after I believed I collected myself and refused to look at anyone. I'd slide whatever book I was reading to cover up my red splotch face. Maybe there are reasons I tell everyone I have an access over being questioned and mocked once again, waiting for it to start all over. But I had one friend in the class who would sometimes come out to the hallway with me and stay with me. She would casually start a conversation about anything and one time started counting the bricks all the way to the ceiling to get me to calm down. She never thought my speech impediment was an issue. Her name was Ollie and she had gorgeous golden eyes. When a teacher wouldn't do anything, she would, even if she got in trouble for it. She always was my support system in that class. When she wasn't there, one teacher would catch me in the hallway and pull another friend of mine out of class to keep me company. So two different friends of mine would talk about random things as bricks on the walls, mostly just to make me smile. Ollie was not the first nor the last who would tell me it didn't matter how I spoke if I was me. Those words did affect me. I just wish I would have understood more than when I heard them. People see accents as such a unique trait, but if they, knew my, if they know my secret, they seem to pity me. Maybe I can't say glass or glass correctly, but I'll find a word which gets my message across that won't trip me up. Speech impediments are like any disability, but I can live with it. Instead of owning up to what makes me unique, I just decided it's another accent among a thousand, or maybe I should belong to my own group of select individuals. I'm sorry I didn't know it was an accent. I'm sorry I joked about it, you didn't deserve that. I never noticed anymore just how you speak. If you were to slow down, it might help others understand you. Why does it bother you so much? I promise it's not that noticeable. They are just picking on you because you're unique. Don't let it get to you. Don't try to change for them. I know you're worth, they don't. You're confident, just continue being you. And I smile as I say, no, I don't have an accent. This is just how I speak. I really liked the ending and how it showed a lot of growth and overcoming throughout the story. Can you explain where the piece stemmed from? Um, so I have a speech impediment, and I don't know if you can hear it um, in some of the words I still mess up on. And I was signed out of speech my um, senior year in high school um, at the end. Um, so I never really got over it. So when I, and this was within my freshman year um, in college, and I was struggling with that as an English major, especially because people expect English majors to not have I don't know why they don't think that you should have that. And I was struggling with like people understanding me when I was reading. And I finally just sat down and wrote this piece. And 
I love the ending because that was the ideal um, actually stemmed from my um, advisor, Dr. Masellis. She was like, well, you've grown, show it, you know. Obviously, you've, like, struggled through it, and to actually express that you moved on from it is really important. And so this piece is really cathartic. I don't know if I'm saying that word right now, right? <laughs> um, but it's really helped me come to terms that it is just part of who I am, you know? Do you feel this is an important topic to write about? I honestly do because my roommate had a speech impediment and um, speech impediment is considered a disability and people don't realize that. Like my roommate didn't know that until I told her and she was like, what? And it is a disability in the sense that sometimes I don't make sense. I can talk way too fast and nobody would catch what I say. And it's important because there are a lot of people with speech impediments who they still have it even though they signed out and they still mess up and it's it's a struggle and when you have a part of your identity that you're labeled as a disability and that that's wrong it's not I I don't want to say it's not okay because speech impediments can you can improve like I was worse than I am now um but genetically I was gonna have the speech impediment because of my small ear canals and because my mom um, the genetics for my mom and just the way my mouth is. My mouth is actually, we found out later, my mouth is small than an average mouth, which actually caused some of my issues. Um, and I actually can't tell where my tongue goes on some words. Um, and I can't actually, I couldn't actually hear what I was saying was wrong. I was healing the, like, when I was saying a word, I was healing it correctly. And they found that out in high school. Like, <laughs> I was like, how do I fix this? It sounds right to me. Um... And I think it's an important topic because people don't realize it's there. And I was valedictorian in my high school. And I had, um, and I'm not going to say anything, I had someone tell me that I could not be valedictorian with a speech impediment. And that is just irritating because not every disability makes you, and I'm going to say it makes you dumb <laughs> or makes you stupid. And and the, not almost none disabilities make you stupid. And mm -hmm. I think that's why I wrote the piece because it irritates my soul. Like those comments, those are all the comments I said at the end, I received in my lifetime. Um, and I have had happen to me. And that's why I thought it was so important to end it that way because mm -hmm. I was trying to go look at what I deal with, but look at where I ended. And with the people um, like Ari and like a lot of my friends in the end who were very supportive of me and my family who were like, you're not a failure. Why do you think you're a failure? But you do because you've been working on it for, I had it when I was five. I've been working on it for years and yeah. <laughs> 14 years of speech. And I'm still speaking the way I was speaking probably about eighth grade because eighth grade was when I hit a wall. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I think it's an important topic to talk about. Um, do all the pieces you write about relate to at all, or do you ever write fiction? I write fiction. I I have to put a I have to put a piece of me and everything away, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be like when I write fiction. That's obviously not about me. <laughs> I write a lot of creative nonfiction and poetry because it has helped me through different difficult things, as you could probably tell from the stuff. It's very cathartic. It's very mm -hmm. refreshing. Um, but when I write fiction, um putting those little things in doesn't mean like um I removed it helps me to like ground me in the piece but I always like making things that I don't deal with happen so yeah that makes sense I see where you're coming from with that has your life changed any since writing these pieces 
I think in a way every piece I write has impacted me because when you write a piece and you especially when you submit it to be published you're allowing people to see a piece of you even if it were to be a fiction piece it's still a piece of you it's still something that you thought so you're allowing other people to see your thoughts and I think it's actually kind of cool to allow people that way but it's also really nerve-wracking because you're putting yourself out there to be seen and you're putting yourself out to be judged <laughs> and um one of the poem the response poems I actually talk about that in one of mine um the collection I did for my honors project about how I'm literally putting myself out to be judged here and we're all putting ourselves out to be judged but we still do it because we love it and we like we love writing and I think that's one of the important things is it is not only cathartic it is fun it is expressive mm-hmm. and creative definitely creative can't yeah. miss that word <laughs> <laughs> yeah I totally get that I mean I'm not a writer but when anyone shares any part of themselves it well, hard <laughs> and even when you do the what you're doing now yeah. you're putting yourself out there just oh. a little bit <laughs> yeah and you took yeah. time to all, you know you take time to edit this and you take time to put this out there yeah and that's part of you and even if it's a tiny thing and not like creative mm-hmm. it's still a piece of you yeah and a lot of your time and effort because these obviously were written and were edited several times before i said <laughs> heal heal yeah. have my work <laughs> Yeah, I feel like a lot of people can see where that's coming from. Can you tell us about your artistic process? I love jamming out to music when I write. <laughs> I cannot have silence, period. But when I listen to music, it actually helps me, like especially in creative pieces and um, fiction pieces, to have the music going because sometimes it speeds up the way I write. Um, most of my poetry is actually notes that I'll write and I'll get like an image I want to write write down so I just jot it down on my phone (laughs) and then I go back and I like look at it later and that's how I write my poetry and I think it's because you get like a glimpse of something that you want sometimes to write about and that's kind of what happened with my the blue bean bag like I got a glimpse of something and I was like I want to write about this yeah um and that happens to me quite a bit with poetry it's just sometimes you just get that oh you get that line like one line just just like nope that's the line I want Mm -hmm. so that's really interesting What's difficult about your artistic process? Sometimes you don't want to write. Um, <laughs> sometimes you get too busy to sit down and write, or sometimes you just, I, I don't want to call it empty, but sometimes you're just empty. Because um, I write with a lot of emotion and a lot of, um, as you can probably tell, I write with a lot of me in it. And so sometimes I don't have much of me to give. Yeah. And it, it's not a bad thing because sometimes you give yourself way too much. But um, for me, if I don't, like, keep track of what I want to write, sometimes it just fades away and I'm in trouble and that image is gone. And then it's gone for good, no Mm. matter what you want to (laughs) do, unless you randomly remember it on a random day. Yeah. But you got to be in front of a computer or (laughs) phone or or have pencil. Got to be ready to jot it down. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people write have notebooks with them and do that. I don't do that, but I should. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend to others looking to participate in the Judas Goat? I recommend you just to put yourself out there. Um, I also know, like the editing classes are really cool to get into that. Um, but I really recommend to just put yourself out there on your pieces. And like this was the first semester I think I 
put in for everything and I like put in a lot of stuff I didn't do that the semesters before mm-hmm. and I think if you just do that and you put yourself out and you um even if you get fee- I, I don't know if they do feedback but um even if you like work with um especially like I did a lot of my editing through like workshop classes but um even like I'm involved in writing club even if you go to them and you ask them opinions and you put yourself out there and you read um mm-hmm. I definitely recommend reading and writing, showing other people the work before you submit it but I definitely say put yourself out there because it's the most important thing because if you don't do it you never know mm-hmm. but I do know there's the editing classes where they actually do put the and like choose the pieces and put the books together mm-hmm. I think that's some really good advice Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate being able to talk to you and about your pieces. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. I'm here with Valerie Bussey today. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. She's going to be reading her piece for us today. In your name, I pray. Amen. We're going to start out with some questions. How would you describe where you're at in life right now? Um, right now I'm doing okay. Um, school's pretty difficult. I'm a nursing major, and so this is my last semester here. Um, and so I'm in some pretty tough classes, but I'll get through it, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Nursing is a huge step. <laughs> yes, for sure. It's definitely a difficult uh, semester, um, but I uh, have pretty good faith. So, God will get me where I need to be. Yeah, you can do it. Have you always decided on nursing? Um, yeah. So, ever since I was little, I kind of just, um, I mean, by little, I mean, like, seventh grade or so, mm-hmm. I, I decided, like, that I wanted to just help people. And so, help people is pretty broad. Um, but, like, you can do counseling, teaching, healthcare, like, you can do pretty much anything in or, or under help people and so um as I got older I kind of like did some job shadows and kind of realized what I liked and so nursing is ultimately what I decided on so yes I have so much respect for people in the healthcare department (laughs) yeah it's definitely not an easy job and especially now with COVID like nurses are getting a lot of um support which is definitely they deserve it oh yeah definitely do um how did you find out about the Judas Goat? Um, I found out the Judas Goat through uh, Sarah Lorenzen. She actually, um, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, but um, <laughs> she actually came to speak at Crew one day uh, last semester, or the semester before, so last fall. And um, she just kind of spoke to us about how the Judas Goat is full of not lots of holy things and so um as like christian followers that's what crew is we're just a group of christians um striving after the lord she just invited us to write some pieces just to fill the book with um good stuff too that's really cool yes that's cool what is your favorite thing to do in your free time um, I, in my free time, I actually, believe it or not, I don't write. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am not a free writer like that. Um, I, um, spend most of my free time studying, um, just because that's what I have to do when I'm a science major. Um, otherwise, I also, uh, 
enjoy watching Criminal Minds. I'm a pretty big Criminal Minds fan, so I enjoy that, but... I've heard that's a good show. Yes, I definitely really like it. Um, so, yeah, that's mostly what I do in my free time. I like spending time with family, going shopping. I spent a lot of money just this weekend. So. <laughs> yeah, it's got to happen sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite books or even a favorite writer? Um, my favorite writer is Nicholas Sparks. I am a romantic. Uh, I just am a hopeless romantic. <laughs> and so Nicholas Sparks, everything is my favorite. Um, and my favorite book's The Notebook by mm. Nicholas Sparks, so. heard there was a movie or something that came out about that. Um, yeah, there was a movie. <laughs> the, uh, the Notebook movie I really liked, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so pretty much anything Nicholas Sparks I yep. enjoy, so. But like I said, I don't have a lot of free time, and so, <laughs> um, I don't get a lot of chances to read, but I also really like The Help. It's mm. also one of my favorite books. So. Yeah. What's your favorite thing to do in Wayne? Um, in Wayne, definitely spending time with my friends. I like going to down to the table. Um, I really enjoy that. And um, going to Utters, we go to Utters a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, my best friends like put on a great like birthday uh, celebration for me um, in February. And they took me to Utters and it was a big surprise. And so mm-hmm. that was super fun. But yeah, so Utters and the table is what I do the most time. I've heard both of those places have really good stuff. Yes, for sure. I am a coffee addict, so <laughs> the table is my place to go, but... Yeah. Yeah, I bet. If you do write, are there specific types of writing you're interested in? Um, I do mostly poetry. Like I said, I'm not a big writer, and so I don't um, know a lot of different <laughs> types of styles, but... Um, otherwise I also like writing just stories. Like I have a lot of stories in my life. And so, especially like in high school during English classes, like when we had a personal topics, like a narrative, like I really like those. Um, but yeah, so poetry and just storytelling. Let's get into your piece. Okay. This is in your name. I pray. Amen. How can I put you above everything? How can I risk everything for you? I pray to you, I even sing, why can't I accept everything you do? I thank you for saving me. I thank you for giving me hope. Yeah, how can I love someone I can't see? Sometimes I feel like I need to get away, elope. It feels so fake, unreal. I just want to be held. The devil tempts me and I'm giving in. I'm moving farther away. I'm shelled. I need help. I'm falling into my sin. I gave my life to you, or so I thought. I'm screaming inside. What happened? Why can't I give you everything I have? I know I ought. If only it weren't a process. I'm so, so saddened. I'm questioning everything, Lord. Please, I ask for a sign that you're there. Protect me from the devil with your sword. Help me feel adored. Please don't let me drown. I need air. I'm going to get better, Father. I'm going to connect with you again. I don't know how or when, but I know I'm still your daughter. So, Father, one last time I ask, save me from this place I'm in. I'm learning about you all the time, like when you walked on water. Fill my voids again, I ask. In your name I pray, amen. And then I signed it, A Struggling Christian. <laughs> uh, what inspired this piece? Um, yeah, so actually I wrote this piece when I was in a pretty dark time of my faith um, and my journey with Christ. I was just feeling so alone, and I was just questioning, like, where are you taking me? Like, why do I not, like, feel your presence with me? Um, 
And so it was actually this story, like, um, and just this piece is actually the first poem I ever wrote completely on my own. Um, my mom and my grandma were both really big into poetry. They wrote their own poems all the time. But even in high school, I would try and write poems and I just couldn't do it. Like, I never liked the way they sound. I could never finish them. And so uh, writing this piece, like, this was the first one I ever actually did completely and on my own. Um, there were some words that I, like, Googled just to make sure they <laughs> rhymed. But, um, but yeah, and so I totally just let my thoughts just go to paper, and that really seemed to help me. Um, and, like, I wrote a poem a week later, and I was able to do the same thing. I just, um, and so it's really weird how it worked out that, like through high school, I could never write, I could never write, I could never write. And then one day when I was feeling so alone, so sad, I just popped this one out, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you want others to feel when they read this? Um, I hope that when people read this, I hope that they know that um, the journey with Christ is not easy. It is full and full and full of valleys. Um, and that growing with Christ and learning about Christ and um, just taking that journey, uh, it can be so, so hard, even for advanced, like, people who have been on the journey for years, like, they still struggle, and so it's never easy, but I think that the biggest thing that I would want them to know that when you read this, like, know that you aren't alone, and know that like, you are not alone in your journey. You are not alone in your struggle in your journey. Um, and Christ is there with you always. Um, that's what he made to, he made that aware to me. Like, a week after I wrote this, I was just, like, at a high. And so, the journey with Christ is so full of highs and lows. And so, I hope that, yeah, when people read this, they know that they are not alone in their journey and that other Christians are struggling, too. I think that's really good advice. Mm -hmm. So, writing this, did you just go out and write it, or did you have a specific process to it? Um, honestly, no. Like, I just was just like, you know, like, I had tried everything. Like, I was praying, and I was speaking with other people, and other people were praying for me, and I just still, like, wasn't feeling any better. And so, I'm just like, you know, like, let me just write. And I wrote, and... This is what came about. And so I really had no idea I was going to write a poem. That's just how it came out. Like the first two lines of what I was feeling rhymed. And I'm just like, okay, let's go with a <laughs> poem then. And so, um, yeah, I didn't go in knowing what I was going to write. I didn't know in knowing what I was going to say. I just let my thoughts lead my hand. And so, yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. What would you recommend to others looking to participate in the Judas Goat? Um, the biggest thing I can say is that, uh, I struggle with self-confidence. And so when I submitted this poem, I was like, gosh, I really don't know if I want my name on this. I really don't know if people, if I want people to know that this is me who wrote it because, you know, like everyone like says like, wow, Valerie's like, you're always so happy. Like, I don't know how you do it. Like, you never seem sad, but this is a sad poem, like, it's kind of sad, like, I wrote it during a sad time, and so, um, like, yeah, when you're just, like, considering, like, submitting to the Judas Goat, like, 
just take the step out of your comfort zone. Like the worst they can do is just not accept it. And then you pick up the pieces and you try again. Like, um, like I said, like, this is the one piece that I submitted. Like I didn't submit anymore. And so if I got it, I got it. And if I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't opposed to it, um, being in there, but at the same time, I was hoping that it would, because I do want to share Jesus with people. That's my call as a follower of Christ is to grow the kingdom. And so any way that I can do that, I would like to. So, yeah, I think that's really cool. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing about that and uh, sharing your piece with us today. Yeah. Thank of you course. for coming on. Yes. I'm, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. I really enjoyed your piece. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Jordan and Valerie really had some good pieces. Let me just say how many new books I want to read after listening to everyone's favorites. After listening to all these stories and poetry, it's making me want to start reading more altogether. Thanks for listening tonight. The next episode will air on April 17th at 9pm. I will see you then. Have a great night. This episode was produced by Callie Hurley at Wayne State College. Music can be found on APM named Wallflower by Inside Tracks. <laughs>